The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. For more information, visit www.pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. Every week we're hearing stories about how God is moving in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. We'd love to hear from you about how God is working in your life. Well, good morning, Pathways Church. It's great to be with you once again. I was here a few weeks ago. If you were not here, my name is John Parrott, and I serve as the executive pastor at a church in Orlando, Florida, by the name of Discovery Church, and I'm thrilled to be back here for a second time. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, last two weeks ago, it was cooler than it is today. I dressed because I thought it would be cooler as you move into fall. Clearly not so, so I'm sweating up here. But um, it's great to be with you. I have fallen in love with Appleton, and uh, thank you for just the warm welcome I received a couple weeks ago. Great to be back with you. Excited this weekend to kick off a new series. You've heard about it already uh, in the service. We're going to be in this series, or you're going to be in this series for some weeks to come. And the title of this series is Not a Fan. Not a Fan. So what is a fan? What is a fan? Well, I think you know really well here in Wisconsin, in the Green Bay area, what it means to be a fan. But a simple definition of a fan is this, an enthusiastic supporter, an enthusiastic supporter. And I've learned quickly here in my short time in Appleton that there's, there's kind of a hierarchy of three things. You have faith, you have family, and then you have football. And football may come before, I don't know, it may come before one or two of those other ones, but you love your football. I understand why your services are at 8.30 and 10, because last time I was here, I went to a, a sports uh, restaurant there to watch some football, and it was packed, and you, we got to get you out of here. we got to get you out of here, but I don't think they play today, do they? They don't play today. But you know what it means to be a fan. I think they call you guys cheeseheads, is that right? All right, cheeseheads, okay. And so we've got some pictures here of um, cheeseheads, and if any of you are on these pictures or in these pictures, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to meet you because I respect, I, I, I respect your fanism, if you will. But you love your team. I don't want to be a house divided, but I shared with you a couple weeks ago that our lead pastor, my boss, is Don Cousins. His son is Kirk Cousins, the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. So for job security, we root for the Vikings. Boo, easy, go easy on me. But this is one of the Vikings fans. His name is Trey Miller. And he uh, attends Discovery when he's in Orlando. He's a fanatic. And we've asked Trey, don't dress like this when you come to church. But we know what it means to be a fan. A fan asks this question. Think about it. You're a fan of something. Whether you externally ask this question, you ask it internally. And here's the question we ask as fans. What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately, Jordan Love? What have you done for me lately, Green Bay? What did you do for me lately, Aaron Rodgers? He's not doing much lately, but too soon, okay. But what have you done for me lately? When are we going to win the big game? When are we going to make it to the playoffs? Artists we like to listen to, what have you done for me lately? When are you going to put out another good album? Actors we like, when are you going to put out another good movie? See, as fans, we're consumers. And the enthusiasm of our, of our fanship, if you will, rises and falls when, on the, those that we are fans of, what they do for us. But there is a stark difference between being a fan and being a follower. 
See, a follower, by definition, I'll give you this, is a person who models how they live, act, and think after another. A person who models how they live, act, and think after another. And there's this, this idea of imitation. There's this idea of, of mimicking. As I was thinking about this, I, rem- I was reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians when he says to the church in Corinth, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What he's saying is follow me, model your life after me, after I, in the ways that, that you think, act, and live as I model my life as I follow Jesus. A follower is a person who models how they live, act, and think after another. So let me show you a quick video of what I think kind of captures this really clear for us, especially those of us who are parents. So I've got four kids. My youngest, Jake, is 17. In this video, you're going to see he's probably four years old. And in my former life, I was a worship pastor. So I would sing, I'd play guitar, I wore the skinny jeans, you know, all that stuff, all the things a worship pastor does. Okay? I had the starter kit, all right? Little did I know that my little son was following me. Take a look. Ladies and gentlemen, Jacob Parrott. Stand up. There's no greater picture of, of what it means to raise disciples than to be a parent. But here's the truth of the matter. I didn't have to sit Jake down at four years of age and say, Jake, you got to put on skinny jeans. Jake, you, you got you to tell him to stand up. Jake, you got to move around and bring the energy, especially in the early service, because they're not energized. He did all that. Why? Because he was following me. He was modeling how he lived, how he acted, how he dressed after me. There's a stark difference between being a fan and being a follower. A fan asks, what have you done for me lately? And this is what a follower asks, humbly. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? So Jesus says this in Luke 9, whoever wants to be my disciple, disciple is simply a person who has a relationship with Jesus and seeks to follow Jesus in their everyday life, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So Jesus, what would you have me do? Take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. And this is where the rubber meets the road between being a fan and being a follower. See, the cross in that day we wear crosses around our necks. We have them in our spaces, rightfully so. But to the first century listener, as Jesus would have said this, the cross on that day was an execution device. It'd be like Jesus saying, take up the electric chair. Take up the firing squad. Take up the guillotine. Whatever capital punishment device you want to think of, take up that and then follow me. 
The first century listener would have heard, take up your cross. It's the most humiliating, most painful, most despicable way to die. The Romans were masters of execution. They were masters of torture, and they humiliated. We think about that. Think about what Jesus went through with the public spectacle that he was. Take up your cross. What Jesus is saying is this. Take up your cross means if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself in order to find new life in me. And this new life is what I want to talk to you about today, and I believe it will serve as the answer to the question I'm seeking to answer for all of us. And this is the question, if Jesus is calling us to follow him, if he's calling us to, if you will, die, to take up our cross and to follow him, then why is Jesus worthy of following? Why is Jesus worthy of following? And I believe the answer is given to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. And let me just give you some context. Up to this point, Jesus is the greatest thing to hit Galilee. He's got fans. He is a big influencer, if you will. Social media is blowing up in Galilee. He's turned water into wine in a wedding. That's pretty cool. He cleared out the temple, meaning he, he, he caused havoc on the religious elites who were, were taxing inappropriately the people of, 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 of Judea there, the Jews there. They were getting rich off the temple tax, and he went there and he cleaned house. He heals an official son. He heals a cripple at a public pool. And then he feeds, we read, 5,000 people. But it says men, so we have to count the women and the children. So over 10,000, safe to assume, that he fed with just two fish and five loaves of barley bread. And then he walks on water. But think about it. You're in the crowd. You're hungry. You've been there all day. You didn't bring anything to eat. And all of a sudden, your belly is full. You'd become a fan really, really quick. But see, what was happening here is the people were following Jesus, and they were watching what he was doing. They had an agenda for Jesus. See, they believed that a Messiah, an anointed one, would come, but not as a savior of the world. And this is where Jesus gets into this, this discourse with them that really rocks them. But would come as this militant figure, would come as this political figure who would lead an army, kind of like King David, to overthrow their oppressors, to overthrow Rome, who were oppressing them and suppressing them. So they were wanting Jesus to be this military figure because now we're going to get ours. We're going to go in and we're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to kick them out of here. Your kingdom's going to come, Lord God, and we're going to get back the promised land that you gave to us. And this was the agenda of the fans. And they kept trying to force him into this. So you read in Scripture that he slipped away. He slipped away because he was not going to be part of their agenda. God had a different divine plan in and through the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus knows that many of these people following him are following him only because of the things he's doing for them. What have you done for me lately? And in John 6, he really brings the, the rubber to the road, if you will, and he puts a challenge before them. And this is what I want to look at because this is where it really separates fan from follower. So he begins to question their motivation for following him. He's fed them. They keep following him. They're tracking him down. And he says this, beginning 626, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, 
not because you saw the signs I performed, meaning this, the signs, what signs? The messianic signs, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. All of these signs in the Old Testament scriptures were pointing to a promised Messiah that was to come, not a military figure, but a savior of the world. But you you follow me because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You follow me because of what I did for you, because your bellies are full and you want more. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for, that, uh, but for food that endures to eternal life. He's saying, don't put your hope in things and things of this world. They're going to fade away. They're going to spoil. But eternal life never will. Which the Son of Man will give you. John refers to Jesus many times as the Son of Man. For on him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus is like, you're getting it backwards. You don't have to do anything. God's not in the business of work-based salvation. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to simply believe, to place your faith in the one he has sent. Now he starts to talk about himself. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he's kind of going, I I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but he's kind of going to the feeding in the wilderness where God brought the bread, brought the manna to the Israelites as they were roaming in the wilderness And the feeding of the 5,000 is kind of a picture of that. Jesus is kind of a New Testament Moses, if you will. But he's he's flipping it. He's saying, hey, the bread that God sent, there's a bigger bread. It's the bread of life. It's not going to just fill your belly, but it's going to fill your soul for today and for all eternity. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Well, this was hard for many Jews to swallow. Jesus saying that he's the bread of life, Jesus saying that he's, he's come down from heaven, you got to put yourself in the mindset of the first century listeners. Many of us have been hearing about this our whole life. But for them, this is rocking their world. Jesus is saying he came down from heaven? At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him. And he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Then they said this, is this not Jesus? The son of Joseph? Whose father and mother we know? Some of them said, the one we babysat? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? And from this time, many of his disciples, many of the fans, turned back and no longer followed him. A biblical scholar, D.A. Carson, writes, some of the reasoning that they turned away is they were more interested in food, politics, and miracles than in spiritual realities. They were unwilling to surrender their own autonomy in order to come to faith. They were unwilling to take up their cross and surrender to humble themselves, to follow. They were offended that Jesus claimed to be greater than Moses and have the authority to give life. How many times in our lives, or I'll just speak for me, have I turned my back on God because he hasn't dished out what I wanted? He didn't answer that prayer. I didn't get that promotion, or I didn't get that healing. Things didn't work out. Lord, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. 
But when it didn't go my way, in essence, what I was saying is, what have you done for me lately? We're surrendering and saying, Lord God, what would you have me do? Surrender all of this? Trust you with all this? Trust that maybe there's a reason why you haven't answered this. Maybe it's not no, it's just not now. There's something else you're working on. You're working in the details not only of my life, but in those around me. Lord, give me the strength and the courage to continue to follow you despite what I may feel. At times we have to take what we feel and put it underneath what we know as followers of Jesus. So the fans turn away and he turns to his disciples. You can just picture this. And he says this, you do not want to leave too, do you? And this is the moment. This is the watermark moment. And all of us come to this point in our life with Jesus when we're walking with her, where there comes a point in time where we have to determine, are we going to continue to be a fan? Or are we going to choose, come what may, to be a follower of Jesus? So he turns to the disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? And here's the key. You have the words of eternal life. Who have come, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So why is Jesus worthy of following Pathway Church? Because Jesus is the bread of life and holds the words of eternal life. Jesus is the bread of life and holds the words of eternal life. Eternal life is this. It's a new life that followers of Jesus possess that begins in Christ and continues into eternity. This is where we're going to spend the rest of this message time together talking about eternal life. See, eternal life can be something thought of that ex- Christians experience now, meaning believers don't have to wait for eternal life because it's not something that starts when they die. Rather, eternal life begins the moment a person places their faith and trust in the bread of life in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is our current possession. John 3.36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The verb tense is present. Not whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. The focus of eternal life is not on our future, but the focus of eternal life is on our current standing in Christ. Jesus said in in John 10.10, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. This life more abundantly is the eternal life that Christians take possession of the moment they place their faith and trust in Jesus. So let me share with you the blessings of eternal life. We're going to look at a few, and we give you some verses, and then I'm done. Going back to Orlando where it's hot and humid. Blessings of eternal life. Number one, it's a gift of God's amazing grace. Eternal life is a gift of God's amazing grace. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to work for it. It is a gift That's why it's called grace. Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. There is nothing that you can do to earn eternal life. It is God's gift to you. It says grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. So I need some help. I need some help to illustrate this. Can you come help me real quick? No, right here. You on the end. Yep. Yep, come up. Yep, come on up. All right. Just right here, right here, right here. Okay. Right here, right here. Oh, you can come up here. Come on up. Who cares? All right, come on up. All right. 
All right. All right. What's your name? What is it? Brian. Brian? Okay. I'm John. It's good to meet you, Brian. Okay. He's like, okay, what am I doing up here? All right. Have we ever met before? We've never met before. Okay. Um, have you done any work for me? No? Okay. Um, do I owe you anything? It's today your birthday. Okay, so you've done, done nothing to deserve anything that I may give you here next. No? Okay? All right. So, Brian, I want to give you $10. Okay? There you go. All right? Brian, this is grace. Okay? You didn't do anything to deserve this. You didn't have to work for it. Okay? I'm giving this to you as, an, as a gift of grace and love. Okay? Would you receive this? You want it? Okay. And you have to receive it. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right. Some of y'all need to start sitting a little closer. All right. I see that hand back there. I see that hand back there. That's grace. Brian didn't deserve that. Did nothing to earn it. Didn't ask for it. Didn't work for it. But what had to happen for the transaction to be made complete? He had to receive it. See, God extends his grace to you, but he's not going to force himself on you. The blessing of eternal life begins the moment you recognize God's grace upon your life and you say, Lord God, I receive this unmerited favor for my life. That's why it's called grace. See, the thing that separates Christianity from all other religions, all other religions are about man's devotion to a God. Christianity is all about God's devotion to man. Amen? Amen. I'm not giving out any more money. That's it, okay? All right? Some of y'all just woke up. Some of y'all just became fans, all right? Second blessing, we're new creation in Christ. New creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. If you are in Christ, if you've stepped into eternal life, you have been made new. You are a child of God. You have been adopted by God. You are co-heirs of Christ. You are part of the royal family. This is your new identity. The old is gone. The new has come. Discard the filthy robe. Discard the filthy rags. You are now clothed in God's royalty. This is the eternal life. This is the eternal life. The new creation in Christ. When someone understands their identity in Christ, they should never have a self-confidence problem. If you're going through times where you're struggling with your self-confidence and all that, just remember who you are in Christ. Remember what Jesus did for you, the bread of life coming down to, from heaven to do for you what you could not do for yourself. Why? Because of his amazing grace and the life, the eternal life he wants you to enter into, not in eternity, but today. Number three, your forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 8.12, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You come into eternal life, you are 100% forgiven. Scripture talks about when Christ, when God forgives our sins, he, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. And this is forgiveness according to Scripture. This is what it translates. And we shall never speak of this again. When you enter into eternal life, you are 100% forgiven. Well, you may say, but John, you don't know what I've done. And I would say back to you, do you know what Christ has done? 
He died on the cross for you. He took your sin and your shame and he put it on his shoulders so that you could have eternal life in him today. Forgiveness of sin, then there's freedom from condemnation and shame. Romans 8, 11, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ today and you're experiencing, you're sensing condemnation, know this, this is not of God. This is of the enemy who's the father of lies, who's trying to take you out. He's trying to rob your identity, put you in a place of identity crisis, for there is no condemnation. There's conviction, but there's no condemnation. There's no shame in Christ. This is the eternal life. Another blessing of eternal life is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's presence and power residing within you. We talked about this a few weeks ago when I was here. Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Romans 6, hear me, church. If you are in Christ, if you are walking in eternal life, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. The same spirit. And what grieves me is when I see followers of Jesus, Christians walking around, unaware of the Spirit of God that dwells within them, the Spirit of God that should produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It grieves me when some of the most depressed, unpleasant, complaining people walking the face of the earth are Christians. It shouldn't be that way. Why? Because you're a new creation. You have identity in Christ. You're 100% forgiven. The Spirit of God dwells in you that produces all of those things. And this will be a little on the nose, but I'm the guest. And if you're walking around feeling that way, I would ask you to ask yourself this question. Am I a fan or am I a follower? The Spirit of God gives you gifts. We've seen it displayed on this stage. Men and women who God has gifted to sing and to play instruments, to lead us in worship. God has given every one of you spiritual gifts. He's given you treasures. He's given you passions. He's given you talents to make a contribution. Do you know the gifts that God has given you? If you don't, you need to find them out. Because that's where the action is, is when you understand the way that God has gifted you and you serve him to make his name famous. You're faithful, fruitful, fulfilled to live to the fame and glory of God. This is the eternal life. You have power and victory over sin and death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I got a lot more amens in the 830. You've got eternity with God and his people. You have eternity with God and his people. This is the good news, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You are a citizen of heaven. Heaven is now your new home. This world will one day fade away, but there will come a new heaven and there will come a new earth that God will usher in with the coming of his son, a place where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more chaos, there's no more news. God's kingdom will come in its fullness. And if you are in Christ and have eternal life, you will be a citizen forever in that kingdom. And lastly, there's no fear in death. 
When you understand eternal life, there is no fear in death. The early Christians, the first century, if you do your research and some history, they were all martyred, a lot of them. Most of the disciples were martyred. Early followers of Jesus, but they found it honoring to be martyred. As Paul said, there's no fear in death. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Why? Because as Christ was raised from the dead, so shall I. And this is why Rome was scared of Christians. Because if Jesus overcame and resurrected after they crucified him on their execution machine, Christians are going to start walking around thinking that they're going to come back to life. So what power now do we have over them? And this is why Rome was scared to death of Christians. Because there was no fear in death because of Jesus Christ and because of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Why? Because I have eternal life in Jesus Christ, come what may. And this is what Peter, and this is what the other disciples who were followers of Jesus understood. Where are we going to go? We're going to just go back with the fans? Where's that going to lead us? No, Jesus, we recognize that you hold the words of eternal life, and you are the Holy One of God, the bread of life. There is nowhere else for us to go. I'll close with a story. The story of someone who understood clearly who Jesus is and the blessings of eternal life. The story is about a friend of mine. His name is John Whedon, and I had the unfortunate privilege back in April to do John's funeral. John was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at a young age, and his life expectancy at that time was 30 years of age. John passed away on April 22nd due to an infection that he had contracted in his lungs. It was trapped like overnight. They put him in an induced coma. He would never recover from this. He would pass away on April 22nd, and he was 55 years of age. In the last year of John's life, not only did he struggle with the lung issues, but he also struggled with what uh, the doctors believe would be a brain tumor that he would have. And he was just walking through this, and if you knew John, John was just a beam of light. He was on the worship team. I mean, he just, you would never know there was anything wrong going on in John's life until he carried around an oxygen tank with him. Just radiated God in and through his life. And on March 8th, he wrote this post. He was a prolific writer, and he wrote this post regarding his conditions. To God be the glory, come what may. There are two messages within that simple phrase. First, God will receive the glory and be glorified and praised daily. Second, no matter what happens, good or bad, prayers answered or not answered, I will continue to praise him. See, John never saw himself as a victim due to his circumstances. But as he took up his cross and followed Jesus, he saw it as an opportunity for God's purposes to be revealed and accomplished through his life and even in his suffering. John's purpose for life and all that came with it, good or bad, were secure in Christ. Despite all the pain, despite all the suffering, he never lost hope in the eternal life that he had in Christ. One of John's favorite songs, I read the lyrics to at his funeral, and this sums up John's life and the hope and the belief that he had in Christ. It says, I've carried a burden far too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. 
I see it now. I'm laying it down. And I know that I need you. So I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. There's no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Jesus is calling you to follow him. Not because he wants something from you, but because he wants something for you. And what does he want for you? Eternal life. Eternal life begins in Christ today. It is not the end. It is the beginning. I love the lyric of the song we sang earlier. It said, I don't want to get to the end of my life knowing that there was more that I could find. Don't be disappointed. Don't be disappointed. So where today have you allowed yourself maybe to become a fan? That Jesus is saying, hey, you should take up your cross. You need to follow me. Trust that I'm good. Trust that I'm gracious. Maybe there's an area in your life today where you say, you know what, I've just, I've settled in being a fan in this area, Lord God, and I just confess and I repent from this. Maybe the prayer you pray this week in your time alone with God is, Lord God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? And surrender yourself as a follower of Jesus to him. Maybe you're here today and you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus. I want to give an opportunity to you right now. It's not by accident that you're here. The scripture says that, that God calls all men and women unto himself. If you're here today, hear me. I believe that God is drawing you unto himself today because of his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, a new identity he wants to give you, eternal life. He desires for you to enter into today. And if that's you, I want to encourage you right now just to pray this prayer. Let's all close our eyes. Just pray after me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I recognize that you are the bread of life. That you came down from heaven to give me life. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender my life now to you. I am your follower. In Jesus' name.